Welcome, welcome, lovely humans, to the newest episode of The Process. Before we get into it, don't forget to share this episode with a friend or family member who you think would really like it. I'm delighted to let you in on this honest conversation I had with Rivka Shimcha, a local Rochester artist who is not only a visual artist, but also a writer, a poet, and a theatrical extraordinaire. In fact, she's much more than those identities, and I'll let you hear about it in this conversation, which starts right now. So, how do you pronounce your last name? (laughs) (laughs) So, I go by um, my Hebrew name. Okay. So, Rivka Simcha is actually my Hebrew first and middle name. Simcha means happiness in Hebrew. So when I started to, you know, shape my artistic self, I was just really called to use my Hebrew name. It's something that's been with me for a long time, and I don't really get called Rivka in a lot of contexts, and it's like another context I wanted to cultivate to like invite that identity in. And you go by she, her, they, them? I respond to any of those. Um, you know, I'm more used to going by she, her, but I'm really open to they, them as well. Great to know. So just to start, I would love to hear your thoughts on when you hear creativity as vocation or when you think about creativity as vocation what comes to mind well for me creativity has always just been the lens through which I experience the world and when I take creativity in that sense it means just like a processing of experiences um, shaping of things around me to make sense of life you know I think some folks you know, might pick it up as a craft or something to pursue in order to make money or in order to like eke out livings or just things of that nature. But for me, at least when I think about being a kid, it was the mo- the way for me to understand and make sense of growing up and the constant changing nature of being alive. Um, it was hard for me to separate just living and breathing from art making and shaping. I lived in a household where it was very much celebrated, especially music. Uh, Both of my brothers are musicians um, and, you know, we were really fortunate to have parents who really fostered that. So it was just, I mean, they did, we played video games and they did sports as well, but music and art was just something that is very much in my blood and in my home, like life culture. So I, I think that definitely helped throughout school like I was just hanging out in the painting studio. It was just, <laughs> yes. uh, that's just what I did. It's yeah. where I felt safest, I think. Mm, love that. One thing I want to wanna talk to you about is this idea of balancing everyday life with art. What's the relationship there? They definitely feed each other. And I wish, especially now that I'm in my 30s and have a family, like I wish... I experienced it as more of like being the same thing. Mm. I definitely think as I've grown, like I don't really have the luxury of just like hiding out in the art studio, like whenever I want, you know, it's just not, you know, with, with the path I'm on, I've had to fight for that time more and build it in. I'm really fortunate to be in a marriage where, you know, my husband really understands that you know, the arts are a huge part of me as a human. So he has done a lot of the care work necessary, like watching the kids, giving me space, 
for me to be able to cultivate that part of my identity and something that he really values. And I, I think I it wouldn't work if I was with somebody who didn't understand that, like on a fundamental level. I haven't worked in the arts. I that's I'm hoping to change that. I just left my job, which is exciting. I mean, I'm that still I'm going to be momming, so it's right. you know I'm still definitely working, and For sure. you get much less breaks when you're a mom <laughs> when you. I know. Properly I mean, I don't, I'm not a mom, but I can see that you get much less breaks. Yeah. I, I struggle with saying no to things because I, I find my identity goes in a lot of different directions. There's a lots of different things I like to do. I worked at school mm. for a long time and saying bye to that and trying to free up more time to be there for my kids and also just have more unstructured time for some more art making intentionally using that time in that way will be different for me. Yeah, that's a huge transition. So, are you already out of the job? Yeah, like you're just not. Oh yeah, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. I feel it's good. It's like yeah. it's like a it's a weight off. I'm finding I'm doing a lot of like the pre work now of like okay, mm. I have all this time. Like, how can I maximize it? Yeah. And I also don't want to fall into this trap of like knowing, thinking I can plan everything so it's going to go perfectly every day because it's just not how it works when you're at home with it's your kids. Just, yeah. It's just it's not, really not. not actually that was one of my questions was like yeah. how how do you move away from perfection like how do you because for oh me God. that's a really hard thing <laughs> and I know for a lot of artists it's hard <laughs> I think I think naming it when I f- sense those thoughts coming mm. and I sense myself being in like super board meeting planning mode <laughs> mentally like okay Rivka like today's gonna go this way that way just being like get out of here like this is not the boardroom you can't just like <laughs> plan the agenda for your day um not how it works and just trying to be more present especially when I I can feel like my own perfectionism and disappointment in myself getting triggered when like my kids aren't listening to me or I you know the baby didn't nap long enough and I didn't get to get to my studio you know I I can feel like the switch goes off and I start talking really negatively to myself and Mm -hmm. really I can't really control what my kids do I can only really control like the grace with which I receive it and you know some days are better than others and we definitely have a lot of messy days and I have to apologize a lot for Mm. losing my temper but I'm working on it and I I think just the awareness that I'm shifting into that more negative mindset helps that's huge seriously like not trying to force yourself to change in the moment but just noticing it seems really helpful yeah and and not shaming yourself like I I, there's this one thing to like make to drift that way and to fall into those negative thought patterns but you know then feeling bad about it and having that shame kind of color the rest of your day it's it's hard yeah it's really hard for sure I see you posting pictures of like you drawing in your sketchbook with your baby or you know what I mean like just multitasking and I just was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that experience like how that feels in your body to do that (laughs) oh you know (laughs) since Naveen has gotten a little bit older it is a little harder when he was Mm. a little potato you know yeah that's essentially what they are they're little potatoes like and he wasn't moving as much (laughs) like (laughs) that's so funny I posted one of me wearing him um while working in my sketchbook and very much just I mean it felt good it felt good to know that I'm able to be present and nurturing to my child while still nurturing another part of myself. 
mm. not knowing they don't have to exist independently of another one another granted i'm not there with making an ink painting you know on an easel right just kind of yeah. scaling down what creativity looks like and what art making can look like when you're also mothering or parenting attending to other things like and even in my relationship like there are times like dave wants to watch tv and I'll go and sit with my sketchbook next to him. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to sit with you and hang, but like, I'm going to be sort of multitasking right now. Or I'm like, I'm also really wanting to feed this need. Yeah, it, it works. And as long as he understands, I'm not like trying to close myself off. I'm just trying to like be in more than one headspace at the same time. And it's something that's really worked for us, especially at the end of the day when the kids are down and we just need to connect a little bit. That's yeah. really cool that you can do that. You can like, create that space for yourself and still be in a relationship in relationship with another person at the same time that's yeah awesome. yeah we've had a lot of experience cohabitating like we've mm. lived together for a long time we just hit 10 years of marriage and congrats oh, yeah <laughs> and i <laughs> mean it's big. a game changer once you have kids it's like like for us getting married didn't really feel that different but once we were with kids it's like a, a whole game changer but yeah so we've had a lot of good days and bad days but it's always practice of how how do you cohabitate how do you have a peaceful home how do you stay connected while still nurturing other sides of yourself Mm. and it's it's messy it's really messy but you have good days too so when we had only julian our Mm -hmm. our first child i really directly said hey like on saturday mornings could you please get up with julian so i could like disappear into my studio for a while at the time i was also you know doing grad school stuff and so and that time kind of ended up being used for paper writing too, which I hate thinking about that. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I sort of just like divided this really delicious, precious time. Mm. Um, but I think asking explicitly for what I needed directly really helped. And he was, you know, you know, understood how important it was. So that, that worked for a while. Now that we have the baby as well, it's just harder but I'm at the point where I can bring him up with me and you know do things in dribs and drabs even if I'm only at a place where he needs a lot of attention and I can only do things like cut out magazines for collage materials as long as I'm up there like tending somehow to this practice like it it just feels really good to stay connected to it in different ways and definitely managing my expectations about like I'm not going to be right I mean I used to churn out like paintings 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 like constantly right and you know i've slowed down and that's just not judging that and just being with that and knowing that it's going to change like the pace will change and just riding with it yeah just allowing that to be what it is yeah you you had mentioned that you would come to myos and thank you so much for your support of of the velvet noose you know which is the uh the theater troupe i am a part of i mean for myos our rehearsal process like i brought naveen with me really like, yeah he Aww. was at the stage where he just we, we had his little like ear protection headphones oh, and he would amazing. just sleep and we would rehearse and it worked out really well like I didn't know how that was gonna go yeah. I mean my troop mates were really really uh supportive and welcoming mm. and you know loving towards him um we did a show called mother of thousands and I actually was pregnant with Naveen during that wow and it was a really powerful way for me to process my prior pregnancy loss Mm. um so you know work with the velvet noose has really been hugely therapeutic for me um I just feel really fortunate to be among them and uh, we're getting ready for our next fringe show it's going to be at the muck in September 
Amazing. Yeah. Wait. Okay. We have so much to talk about with Velvet Noose. <laughs> um, so what's the what's the kind of like writing process of the Velvet Noose? Because it's theater, but it's also so much more than that. It's just so multi-dimensional. Yeah. So right now uh, we're getting together. It's myself, uh, Harold Taddy, Theo Trombulek, and Ishmael Walker, and we're just you know sharing brain space and we have a google doc that's sort of a Mm. live doc and just passing ideas back and forth and you know we're going to turn around and there's going to be a fully fleshed out show at some point wow so it's really organic it's really organic it's really organic we all just bring things we've been thinking about themes exhibits we've been going to ideas old poems pieces of writing and they kind of just synthesize in this really wonderful way yeah they I mean Naveen's coming with me to rehearsals I mean I don't have I've got to bring him I mean and they will watch him with Julian on for performances and for just rehearsals but I also have to compromise a little bit too like bringing him with me and it's also it's fun though you know it's like what especially knowing given that I was pregnant during one of our performances it's like he's this He's picking up all of this energy of creativity. Exactly. What an amazing way to grow up, seriously. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I, and I just feel really yeah. lucky that he has this like extended family, it feels like. I know. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, I feel <laughs> I feel really really lucky. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Go follow the Velvet News on Instagram. We have um our our show information is all there beautiful um and it's gonna be awesome is it it's not to be missed tickets are on sale now uh fr- rochesterfringe.com yes yeah i will definitely be there. yeah 100 percent will be there i yeah. love the fringe and i went to myos as you mentioned and yeah. it was just like so magical if you haven't been to a velvet noose show yet i don't know what the next one's gonna be because i'm sure it's <laughs> all different but the one that i went to myos we each got little bells, like every audience member got bells in their programs and we could just ring them whenever we wanted. It was so cool. And also like there was singing and we we got to join in on the singing and it was just like, it wasn't just watching you guys perform. It was like a whole experience that was very immersive, which was, I've never experienced that before. Thank you so much for being there. I loved the um, idea that Harold had to use the bells I, I remember being on stage and hearing them. It was such a welcome, like, it's like giving and receiving that feedback from each other. Right. And it was really special. Witnessing my troopmates interacting with it, too. There was this great sense of wonder. Mm-hmm. Yes, that is yeah. exactly the feeling. Just wonder. Awesome. Can we talk about your singing? Sure. Because, so your voice, just mainly just your voice is so powerful. Like, how do you channel that much power through your voice? Oh, well, thank you so much. Yeah. I I grew up singing musical theater. So, mm. and I had a voice teacher who very much taught me how to just belt, you know, push down on your diaphragm, belt, yep. um, you know, didn't do much development of like my, what is it? Your head voice? Head voice. Is that what they call it? Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm really, I haven't had much vocal training, honestly. I took voice lessons as a kid. Yeah. And then I picked up guitar as a kid and would just learn enough to accompany myself. But that the training I did have was very much about like belting out show tunes, which is pretty funny to think I about. I love it. That's um, great. But also it plays into my Judaism too, because I, mm. I was bat mitzvahed. I did have training for that process. And I just remember really being moved by Torah tropes and the sound of it. Um, right. Like the chanting and the, it's very guttural. Yeah. And yes, yeah. Yes. So that, and my mother sings and chants, um, you know, she's not a cantor by trade, but it's in her, upbringing and she knows how to do it she's definitely she 
she's held down like services when the cantor has had to go on vacation like she can run a service and her voice is just this powerful thing so i'm super inspired by that wow it's very much tied to that piece of my identity hmm yeah it's it really does like grab you and kind of bring you into this other realm that's that's not necessarily ordinary at all <laughs> like this spiritual realm thank you yeah it means a lot yeah it, definitely that's I'm, my experience of it too cool it's very yeah. like for yourself yeah it feels and like that when mm. when it, not always always but when it's right it, it really is like leaving the body in a way Ooh, yeah wow i see in your in your sketchbooks and your poetry and your art this spiritual symbolism and this these themes of like darkness and light I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about like that dichotomy if it is even a dichotomy maybe it's not oh it absolutely is I mean thank <laughs> yeah, you yeah. it's it's really gratifying to to hear you say that because I and as I've looked through old sketchbooks like I do like to look back and sort of make sense of the little scraps and the leavings mm. um I think my art is a way to navigate the heaviness of being alive and you know a, a turning towards what could be and what is light um, and the possibility I think for me it's like how do you shape this into the kind of world you want um, with knowing that you can't really change what has happened can you say that one more time so I can process that that was really what did knowing, I say? <laughs> wait, knowing how to create the world you want when you can't really change what has happened. Yeah, that, I think that's what I said. Yeah. Wow. You're kind of working with this like darkness, heaviness, and also this hopefulness, future looking forwardness. Yeah. And mm. I think, and I think my work in ink kind of speaks to that. Like when I, I, sure. I haven't been able to sit down and do an ink painting in a long time, but with, with India ink, you know, you can really, it kind of is like a wild animal in some ways. And I'm not, I'm really self-taught when it comes to ink. I've had like high school art classes really, but I find with ink, you can be very graphic with it. You could be very, make very, very hard lines that can sometimes be unforgiving, but mm -hmm. when you mix it with water, it really flows and it can be this like flowing, changing thing. So just hearing you kind of speak back what I said, like you can't necessarily, those hard lines, like you can, shape them and shift them but you can also like use the flowing bits to like make more of something that's movable or changing um mm -hmm. I'm thinking of one ink painting I did where it's like I started with a lot of graphic lines and then like I kind of let myself surrender to just don't try to control this so much like let it be chaotic let it go forward let it be unknown let it hope for something else <gasps> uh -huh so good let it hope for something else it's kind of like your days with the kids like, <laughs> you're right no that's a, i can plan you but... named it <laughs> just surrender to it uh, right. like and and i mean i don't always mm. handle it gracefully you know, like mm. I, it could be as in, like you said the perfectionism comes in right it's like yeah it's hard because you fall into those thought patterns like well no i wanted it to look more like this or it should be like that someone told me once i can't remember what it was but to compare is to despair so even just comparing it to like the whatever's in your head is just going to hurt you. Yeah. The expect the, the setting of the expectations. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. That's so true. I am really working on that one. <laughs> like hardcore working on that. Yeah. So another theme that I, that I see a lot in your work 
both in the Velvet Noose and in your artwork is this like truth and myth thing. Like it's almost like the myth is the truth. I think there is a strong lean towards ritual, both Mm, in my artwork. You named sort of like these spiritual aspects in my sketchbooks and also in the Velvet Noose. Like we really we create these ritualized experiences, you know, with Mm. full costumes, mask work, um, ritual objects that are repeatedly used. Um, There's almost like a lore from the group. And and that very much becomes like a real way to ground yourself in experience, even though some of it is very dreamlike, is spiritual in some ways. Um, But it's very real. It's very much grounded in all of our experiences as humans. And I, you know, I think you look across culture and time, humans, you know, live through ritual. They live through community building. Um, and it's, it's a way to allow the audience sort of to participate in that, um, and to hopefully like some feedback I've got from Myos was that folks, it helped folks process grief and loss in their lives. You know, I know for me with mother of thousands, like that, that was very near and dear to my heart, you know, because I had lost a baby Yeah, and I wasn't Mm. really, you know, it really threw my identity, you know, I was very, very hurt and lost and confused and grieving, so being able to, you know, the fact that I was welcomed by the troupe to really explore these themes through the arts really just helped. It was very cathartic in a, in a lot of ways. That's incredible. It takes a lot of strength to share something that's that affecting. Um, did that just feel natural to you to share it? Or was it like, was it a need for yourself to share it or was it for other people? Like what was kind of the driving force Oh, that's a really intense. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It it was, you know, I, it was a lot of different things. I was definitely terrified. Um, being pregnant after you lose a baby is terrifying in and of itself, just because I know for me, I was constantly worried that I was gonna, the baby was going to die again. Mm. Um, every ultrasound appointment, it's like, is there going to be no heartbeat? You know, what, what's the what's going to happen the sort of blissfulness of pregnancy is stripped away from you when you've experienced like a pregnancy ending in a dead baby Mm. so on the one hand yes I wanted to talk about it I wanted to cry about it I wanted to scream about it dance about it it's the only way for me to really like channel just how horrifying the experience is was through the arts because the arts can hold all that Mm. And in shaping it with, you know, the Velvet Noose, it it really, it just alchemized it into this beautiful moment in my life that's going to live forever. And I mean, now it's beautiful because, you know, Naveen is here, right? Right, right. You know, so, but thinking back on Mother of Thousands, like how lucky I was to have really an art family to hold me as I move through that grief. Oh. Yeah, and Naveen was there with you, performing with you, yeah. which is so cool. Yeah, Like, it's just so beautiful that he w- could be there in your belly or, in, you know, yeah. not your belly, but yeah. <laughs> uh. I, I would say I would when I was pregnant, I really wanted Julian to know, like, what a uterus was. And I, no, yeah, so right. I would say, Julian, you know, there's a baby in mama's uterus. So he'd walk around saying, there's a baby in mama's uterus. <laughs> and this is like... It's very funny. That is the cutest little thing. Oh my gosh. I love it. I love that. Teaching your sons about female anatomy. That is very important. 
oh man i i mean this is what it is like we just have to go through this pain you know like there's no way to control anything and it's so terrifying yeah and i think as an artist you can't really control how folks receive your work right you put it out Mm. there and i just feel really fortunate that i had got so much love back you know from from you know just even posting stuff online you know through the velvet news through my you know art shows i've been in like the the feedback is just really really you know, I try not to internalize it too much because there's a balance there too. You don't want to necessarily, oh, they liked this. Maybe I need to make a painting that like looks like this. Right. Or, but yeah. at the same time, knowing that folks see me is also really helpful. You know, I think right. it's a constant balance. How do you sort of take in that feedback and like enjoy that aspect of it? But also how do you sort of make the art that you in your body need to make? Right. Yeah, I struggle with that, like thinking about the public while I'm making the art. It always ends up to be like the art is just not that great because I'm trying to do it for someone else and not for me. How do you keep that core of yourself? Like, how do you stay in touch with that core of yourself when you're trying to create something? Do you have any rituals yourself like in your daily life? <laughs> Man, I'm trying to trying to figure it out. You know, yeah. I'm trying to get back just into daily free writing. I, I've really mm. not been good with it recently just I'm you know I'm still trying to like I said like laying that groundwork like what do I want my days to look like is it you know quick sketchbook jottings is it free writing is it pulling a tarot card and just seeing where that takes my brain and those are all really you know doable things it's just about being disciplined enough to do them but also not shaming myself when I don't get to them so such a fine line oh my gosh yeah discipline like where does the discipline come from how do you kind of I mean I know these are these are so specific but I'm genuinely interested in these I think you have to have faith that the small actions are going to build up to something positive something that's worth committing to Mm. Um, I definitely struggle with that sometimes you you plant a seed and you don't get a flower tomorrow or fruit tree doesn't just happen overnight right it's you gotta you have to commit to doing the small actions and it's you you know it can be very abstract right but I think the more you do it and you get that positive result the more it can be more motivating Hmm. but it's definitely something I struggle with I I really love that connecting faith with discipline though that makes a lot of sense to me because yeah in order to have the discipline you do have to have that bigger hope or a bigger picture yeah hmm yeah that kind of brings me to i i'm really interested because i i i see your your posts of all your sketchbooks and like you go back into like 2007 and you post <laughs> pictures from 2007 sketchbooks and then you post them from from now and what is the significance of your sketchbooks how do you do them that's a great question and actually i've been thinking about this too because like i i went back to one that wasn't too old, but like was old enough that I felt like, oh, this is like I have a different relationship with this like living document right now because my sketchbooks mm-hmm. and my journals are they're kind of connected. Like it's just like whatever little brain demons need to be exercised that brain moment, demons. you know, or heart demons, whatever, heart liver <laughs> demons. I don't know. Where, where does it live in my body? How do I get it out in my system? Uh. And sometimes they're too close to whatever I'm feeling. So I just mm. don't they're not for anybody but me. But then when I'm shift and move in like my season of my life or whatever is happening like I look back and it it, it, 
not that it's less powerful, but it's less whatever I drew feels less like from the bone or to the bone, like you know something that it becomes like oh this is something I want to share. This like represented a period in my life that I'm not in the trenches within, and it's like separate from me a little bit more. Um, but they really they just document like what's in my brain. Have you ever shared something that where you were in the trenches and you kind of it felt uncomfortable? Well, I mean, I I definitely just go with my gut. Like, do I want this to be seen? Yes or no. I mean, I will say that after shortly after I had the miscarriage, um, Roko was looking for. Um, they did an exhibit called Last Year on Earth, mm. and it was in the midst of the pandemic. They were looking for art that artists had made like during COVID, really, and so I did a self-portrait um that I ended up submitting that I still like can't look at it it's so close even though I've you know I'm still grieving the loss of that baby like you know uh, obviously but yeah it hasn't um, been that long no it hasn't been that long and like I think a lot of people think oh you have another baby but you know the truth is that babies don't replace each other and there's always going to be that hole yeah um so that painting is like in my basement now, but like I ended up mm. submitting it and it was shown at Rocco and it was so vulnerable because this is something that I shaped and made during like one of the lowest periods of my life. And here it is in an art gallery, but it also was such a powerful way to be seen and to feel held. I think people don't really like to talk about miscarriages and child loss, baby loss, pregnancy loss, all these things. It's not something that's really widely talked about. So I felt if I can like put myself out there and bring some awareness and I'm also learning that not everybody is entitled to that story. So Mm. it's a tough balance, right? Like how I want to be seen, but I don't necessarily want to be a target or to, you know, be so open. You know, I can't control how people receive me and what they say to me. Right. So that's hard too. Wait, so when you say not everybody has the privilege to that story, what do you mean? Like, I, it's not my responsibility to educate people oh, on I see, my I trauma, see, I see. necessarily. I see what you're saying. You know, so yes. I can I can be discerning. Like, who do I feel safe enough to open to? And who is like, they don't need to know what I've been through. Mm. So, and that's something I've had to learn because sometimes you open up and people don't necessarily, either they don't, they they don't respond to you the way that you anticipate or it's just you know not everybody needs to know every single detail of your life <laughs> yeah and it's hard yeah. but i also think it's really important to put yourself out there in those moments where you it could be helpful to another person or to yourself too wow so much to think about my brain's just like my brain and my body are just like processing all this it's very it's very fun um thank you for bringing all this amazing thought to this podcast this is awesome thank you you've mentioned a few things about how judaism like really affects your work and is very much woven into your life how does judaism infiltrate like your daily life one thing i can name is the practice of keeping the sabbath um shabbat is just the time friday night you light candles you spend time with your family typically there's like a big dinner you eat really awesome bread oh, called yes. challah. challah yeah um <laughs> you know and when I was earlier on in my marriage Dave and I used to light candles every week and it was we didn't really like cook a lot of food or anything but we would just sit and have like a reflective practice like what what went well this week what do we want to work on for next week things like that and 
time moves and we haven't been the most diligent about going back to it but um I really like that practice because it's a great like touchstone for the end of the week it's a way to just be more mindful be more reflective yeah so you're not just going 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 yeah (laughs) yeah yeah do you do the no technology thing too is that do you no (laughs) no it's really hard yeah I I struggle with I'm definitely on my phone a lot and trying to curb that a little with my kiddos but it's, it's tough it's I mean I think with COVID, it was such a way to stay connected. I know. Um, but and now we're just like glued. Yeah, yeah. I know. I feel that too. I'm so addicted to my phone. It's really tiring. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it can be. You know, I think there's this idea that like, oh, if you put your phone down, you're going to miss something. There's almost like right. this fear of missing out. Yeah. But it's like, it, it'll be there. Like nothing, you know, if it's meant for you, it'll be for you. You don't need to be glued to the phone all day. For sure. For sure. What's Dave's background? Like, how have you guys meshed your identities together and, like, learned from each other in that way? He grew up in Long Island, so I am I grew up in New York City, and it's just funny because we perfect. might have never... Yes, it is perfect, <laughs> but, like, we might have never met had it not right. been for college, you know, so it's just so interesting. I don't know. I just... We both love art. He, you know, he loves to sing. We met singing. We were both in an acapella group. Oh. And, <laughs> um, <laughs> and it is cute it is yeah thank you uh (laughs) we did a lot Mm. of um we did expressive arts workshops together in college you and taylor were doing that community arts um workshop right you know and we we offered a zoom workshop together and we've done practice like that before we've gone back to bard and done like held those workshops for bard students when we were at Bard, we volunteered a lot with local schools doing art workshops with kids. And that's hmm. like multimodal. So like music making, painting, poetry, writing, dance, drama in like a 30 minute workshop. Like we would play games where, um, you know, holding up red means shake the shaker. And when we put down the card, you stop. So as a way, yeah. it's like this really intuitive way to like have like sound making sort of with the philosophy that anyone can have access to this kind of creativity. So we really fell in love doing that together. And then we've been on the journey ever since. <laughs> wow. That's yeah. that's so beautiful. Are you planning to do more in the future, like just as they come up? Yeah. Creative yeah. workshops? Um, we, we want to. I mean, we have a pipe dream to do it more professionally together. I mean, we're working towards that Yeah. in small ways. I think COVID kind of, you know, made it so we were doing them more on Zoom. But I think we're right. looking to get back in person and being with groups more we both um studied in switzerland at the european graduate school but at different times no way expressive arts yeah it's funny so we never we never (laughs) so we both have these really rich memories of being in the alps at this university doing expressive arts in the mountains but we have to tell each other about the different years like he was there in 09 and i was there in 2014 oh my gosh yeah interesting (laughs) yeah what else is like coming up so you have the fringe show with the Velvet News. Yes, yes. You're just continuing to create art. Is there anything else that we need to know about uh-huh. so that we can support you? Oh, man. Well, Fringe Fringe is huge. Fringe is going to be amazing. We're going to be at the Muck for two nights. You know, the Velvet News, the show is called Super Flower Blood Moon. Tickets are on sale now. And oh, def- yeah, yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yesterday was yeah. the big... Yep. It's all coming back to yeah. my head now. I'm like, yesterday was the big announcement. Okay. Yep. 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 We, cool. We've announced on Instagram. Yep. Tickets are live. So, you know, we're we're working really hard to shape another really cool experience. Follow the Velvet News on Instagram. It's going to be awesome. Amazing. Yeah. Okay. So as we wrap up, 
Um, I want to just kind of bring it like out, just out philosophically. What is the point of making art? Like what, why? Art brings so much meaning to my life. I can move through a joyous day or a sorrowful day and know that if I put pen to paper about it, it's something that's going to live beyond the time that inevitably passes. You know, I can jot some words down, I can paint something, and it's a way to look back. Like It's like when you watch a child grow up, all you really have is either pictures of them or like the clothing that they used to be able to fit into. So when you kind of have a daily art practice, it's kind of like looking back on those traces, like the things that you leave behind. Hmm traces so is this like the the shadow idea that you have on your instagram shulamith and shadow shulamith which is that <laughs> well done thank you, thank you. shulamith um, in shadow yeah so shulamith is this figure who i encountered when i was in college i studied um the work of anselm kiefer and paul salon they're um Anselm Kiefer is a post-war German artist who did a lot of, he's still working now, but I was really infatuated with the work he did in the 80s. And Paul Ceylon is a Jewish poet um, who, you know, survived the Holocaust. And um, Shulamith is sort of this female figure of Judaism that he has in his poem, Death Fugue. And I was really taken with that. And I was in the middle of sort of coming to terms with my family's Holocaust history and, you know, how we've been touched by that. So I was really like bonded. Mm. So Shulamith and Shadow for me, I think you said like my Judaism, there's also a trauma history there. It's not yeah. only beautiful and like, yeah, you know, there's the famous line, um, how can there be art after Auschwitz? You know, right. um, yeah. how do we continue to make art even through our suffering? And it's like the most human thing there is and the most important thing, in my opinion. Hmm. Wow. So your family, I know we're wrapping up. There's just so much. Your family came to New York like after, you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to. Yeah. My relatives have been touched by that history. And, Hmm. you know, on my father's side, there was an immigration to the United States to, you know, get out of Europe during um, Hitler's reign. So it's, yeah, it's something that's always hanging over me. And I've, you know, done work. I did a lot of work um, in my expressive arts graduate program to process that. Um, in a really cool way in a way that was meaningful for me at the time um and yeah it's it's never too far from my consciousness right that family trauma just really is just so present no matter if you talk about it or not oh and it's intergenerational you know it's passed through stories and how do we sort of alchemize that and not let it weigh you down or it's like like we talked about the light and the dark right the heaviness and the lightness right oh Man, I have so much to think about. (laughs) Yeah, wow. Okay. So I would love to just do a couple like rapid fire questions at the end. Just don't think about them too much. Okay. What's a piece of advice that you would give to a young artist? I would say don't think too hard. Make it accessible. Make it easy for yourself. It doesn't need to be fancy. You just need to do it. Yes. (laughs) What's something that makes you mad? When people are really hard on themselves. Oof. Needlessly. Oh, yes. What is something that gives you hope? People coming together to make art in groups. Love it. And what's your definition of success? Doing it. Putting pen to paper. <laughs> yes. Doing it. Gotta do it. Doing it. I love it. I don't think I'm going to keep this in, but I might. This was my like episode arc. Do you want to just check it out? I feel like you would appreciate it. 
started with origin birth and then like trying complexity mm. chaos and then like death slash death infinite space I, <laughs> infinite space I am, death is i should put out an ep called death infinite space that's great you feel free to steal it <laughs> yeah. feel free to steal yeah, it yeah that's sure. great that's that's i mean yeah this is basically it Liv- living trying <laughs> living trying sienna that's it uh we're we're trying we're trying aren't we all Rivka thank you so much seriously like I feel so filled by this conversation and I have so much to think about I keep saying that and I'm just really glad that we got a chance to talk and glad to know you thanks for having me this was really wonderful and what a great opportunity to to be reflective thank you so much Sienna yeah of course thank you we're done yay (laughs) okay that was so fun yay thank Thank you you thank you Thank you so much, everyone. I hope you took something from this conversation. I know I did. If you want to hear more episodes like this, don't forget to download this episode, leave a review, share this video with a friend or family member, and join me on Patreon at patreon.com slash Sienna Process. That's S-I-E-N-A Process. The link is in the show notes to buy tickets to Rivka's performance with the Velvet Noose for the Rochester Fringe Festival. There are two performances, Friday, September 16th and Saturday, September 24th. So hopefully I'll see you at one of those shows. The Process Podcast is presented by Rochester Groovecast, powered by Balbert Marketing. Our theme music is composed and performed by Sienna Facciolo, Jordan Rabinowitz, and Chris Palace, featuring Sally Louise on guitar. Mastered by Jack Galindo, mixed by Chris Palace. This podcast is mixed and produced by Sienna Facciolo. Thank you so much, and I hope you all have a beautiful day. Sending hugs.